We have been going over our series, Learning from Abraham, and today we are on part four about learning about Abraham. And we are going to just go ahead and jump in and pick up from Genesis chapter 15, starting in verse 7. And we're going to start in verse 7, and we're going to read all the way to verse 21, and we're going to unpack that. And, uh, and we'll go from there. So it says, and just to let you guys know, I am reading from the NASB 2020 edition Bible. In case you guys are following along and have been wondering what version I'm using um, all this time and never told me, just like my Zoom background never being the correct position. Um, I read, I'm reading out of the NASB 2020 edition. So it says, and he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess it. But he said, Lord God, how may I know that I will possess it? So he said to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Then he brought all these to him and cut them in two and laid each half opposite the other. And he, but he did not cut the birds. And birds of prey came down upon the carcasses, and Abram drove them away. Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And behold, terror and great darkness fell upon him. Then God said to him, to Abraham, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed for four hundred years. But I will also judge the nation whom they will serve. And afterward they will come out with many possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, and you will be buried at a good old age. Then in the fourth generation they will return here. For the wrongdoing of the Amorite is not yet complete. Now it came about when the sun had set that it was very dark. And behold, a smoking oven and a flaming torch appeared, which passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying to your descendants, I have given this land from the river of Egypt, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenite, the Kenizzite, the Kadomanites, and the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. So, I know that was a, a hefty passage, but in this this scene, it's really peculiar because there's several things that, that I want to unpack for us today. The first is understanding that in this scene, God spoke to Abraham in this moment about how he's going to give him this land to possess. And when Abraham says, how will I know? God tells him to lay out this, this sacrifice of these different animals, right? And so God told him to do this in response to Abraham wanting confirmation, okay? If Abraham would have never asked for confirmation, then he wouldn't have had this scene happen. But he did ask for confirmation, and so as he was waiting there, it says that the, when these bir the birds of prey came down up to the uh, down on the carcasses that Abraham was offering, it shows us that this took 
this this all took most of the day and all the way into the evening. I think it's really easy to read past this and just like, and then he cut these animals and laid them down. If any of you have ever gone hunting before, if you've ever had to dress a deer, you know that it takes some time. It takes some time. And especially for Abram, he's doing this to, he, he's doing this process to multiple animals. This has taken several hours for him to prepare this offering that he's laying before the Lord. And now that he's got it all laid out, that's already took its own time. Now that he's got it all laid out, he's waiting so long that it's going in, it goes into evening. In fact, he's waiting so long that, that it's attracting vultures. I think it's really important to, to, to understand how this is taking a long time. This wasn't, uh, this wasn't an hour-long worship service. But it, it was something that took a, a, a day, that whole day that had been dedicated to. And it shows that Abraham was willing to give his time to God. Abraham was willing to give his time to God. This whole thing is taking all day, and he's just doing it in this dedication moment to God. As comparison, many people today often complain about a church if the service lasts longer than 60 minutes. I've had people even vehemently uh, disagree with the length of our services because it's more than 60 minutes. But here we see Abraham having, uh, having this dedicated day to just fully put himself out um, as he's looking for God. Even in the small time that we set aside for God in our, in our 60 minute Sunday experience, we, we often are already thinking about the next thing and we have a difficult time being present in our minds and our hearts during that short time that we allotted for God. Most people are already to the next thing. They're ready for it to be over. Here Abraham has his whole day dedicated and as he's just waiting there, he's waiting there. Abraham was out there in his act of worship to God so long that the vultures started coming by. This would have taken several hours of him waiting to see what God was going to do next. Hours of waiting in the heat, just expecting God to do something or to say something. God just told him to prepare these animals like this as a sacrifice, and he didn't tell him what to do next. So he's literally just waiting and waiting and waiting till, till these carcasses who attracted vultures. In the moment that these birds showed up, it could have been a moment that he allowed doubt to flood his mind. So we, we really don't understand the concept, uh, if we read through this so fast, we don't understand the concept of how much time is elapsing and what, uh, if we would just relate for a moment, the moments, the times that we felt like God has spoken to us something, to do something, and there's that period of waiting so many of us have given up in, in, on what God told us to do, what, when God has told us to wait, to be patient. And we think, no, it's not going to happen. That was just my own mind. Think about the, the doubts that flooded, that could have flooded Abraham's mind when these birds showed up. I mean, this, this means it's been a long time now. He could have started thinking, what am I doing out here? God's not going to show up. I just, I must have thought this all up in my head. I'm a fool for doing all of this. I've been out here for hours and I'm now I'm actually feeling embarrassed for thinking that this was God talking to me. This is probably just all in my head. See, think about all the times where we have thought like that, where we really believe that God told us something, but then when it didn't 
happen or something didn't reciprocate the way that we expected afterwards, we start going, becoming convinced that it was all just in our head. Instead, Abraham, he ran the vultures off. I'd imagine that it took a couple of times of him running at these vultures and fending them off before they finally moved on. And then he waited some more. He was so incredibly focused that he, uh, that, that he waited in this spot until the middle of the night. It says that he waited all the way to the middle of the night. It's where he's dozing off and falling asleep, just waiting for God to do something, to, sh to say something, to show him something, until God finally shows up. And many of us would have called it a day just after a couple of hours. But to Abraham, that there was nothing better to do than to simply wait on God. I think that's an important aspect to realize, that there was nothing better to do for Abraham besides wait on God. It wasn't that there was nothing else to do, but to him, there was nothing more valuable than a chance to see God in some way. And in this whole point, we're talking about, uh, th this point is show that you care. And the, the essence of this point, show that you care, I want us to grasp that apathy is seen in idleness, and distraction. Apathy is seen in idleness and distraction. Abraham and his actions in this scene shows that he cares. It's, he's not just saying that he cares, but just his endurance of waiting shows that he cares. It, and it's in uh, in this process of waiting, he's not just idle, but he's been working and waiting for this moment. And he's not allowing himself to be distracted. Now, the other thing that's interesting in this, in this verse is that the moment that he began to doze off, great terror and darkness fell upon him. Now, for years, I wondered, like, what the heck is this about? <laughs> what is it? But what I've, uh, what I've realized is that this is Abraham being, uh, he, he's being emotionally and spiritually, uh, he had this emotional and spiritual feeling similar to that of like a spidey sense. <laughs> Because right after this sheer terror that comes over him, God speaks to him. So he has this very unsettling feeling within himself. And then God speaks to him about the enslavement and genocide and extreme mistreatment of his great, 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 great grandchildren. And even though it wasn't going to affect him personally, he was still moved deep within his heart. It bothered him. And he cared so much about his children that that far down the line, that it brought his, this heavy terror on his soul. And it not only shows that his heart is caring about his family, but it shows his faith in believing God, not just for one child, but for his lineage. And it shows it, that he cares. It shows that, it, that he cares. Now let's go into this next point, which is conflicting voices. Conflicting voices. In, th in this point, I want us to grasp that strong faith is seen in the stubbornness to believe God's voice over time. Strong faith is seen in the stubbornness to believe God's voice over time. Now, continuing in the series, in, in the in this passage, it's going from Genesis chapter sixteen, verses one through six. It says, "Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had not borne him a child." But she had an Egyptian slave woman whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, See now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Please have 
relations with my slave woman, perhaps I will obtain children through her. And Abraham listened to the voice of Sarai. And so after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Abram's wife, Sarai, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her slave, and gave her to her husband, Abram, as his wife. Then he had relations with Hagar, and she conceived. And when Hagar became aware that she had conceived, her mistress was insignificant in her sight. So Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be upon you. I put my slave woman into your arms, but when, the, when she saw that she had conceived, I was insignificant in her sight. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Look, your slave woman is in your power. Do to her what is good in your sight. So Sarai treated her harshly, and she, she fled from her presence. Now, for when I was younger, I remember feeling really confused about Sarai's response to Abram. And it wasn't until I was married that I was like, oh, that's just how it is sometimes. <laughs> that's just how it is sometimes. Say one thing but mean another. Um, I'm joking. But the most potent theme in this passage is that trying to force God's promises into your timeline into, t into your time frame causes more problems and solutions. I want us to unpack these verses because when it says, and Abram listened to the voice of Sarai, this was a moment that Abram didn't follow God's voice, but his wife's voice. And I, wa I want to really be clear here. Abram, throughout his whole life, is listening to God's voice. He's leading his family. He is the, the leader of faith in his family. And, and he does such an incredible job at it that uh, Sarai is often referenced as uh, calling Abraham even her master because she trusted him so much. She looked at him even beyond just a husband, but truly the leader of the household. And in this moment, though, she brings up... Uh, this this conflict this this uh way of thinking it says that abram listened to her voice rather than god's and this was a moment that abraham didn't not only didn't follow uh, god's voice but followed his wife's voice this is in the moment that sadai was feeling overwhelmed insecure anxious possibly depressed she was feeling incredibly desperate she wasn't speaking with sound reason as uh, as she was feeling all of these different emotions. And it's funny how even though her her idea seems like a logical thing to do for their problem, she was using this logical sounding re uh, uh, reasoning when, that was motivated by all of these negative emotions that she's feeling. The only reason, and we often do that, is we we feel emotional about something and even though we know that it's not necessarily right in the way that we're thinking emotionally we try to justify it by using uh, seemingly sound reasoning just like Sadae does and in this moment what I see is Abraham truly wanted to just make his wife feel better I think a lot of times we 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 look at Abraham in this moment as just like a, just like a 
like a, another dumb man in the moment where uh, another woman was offered to him and he's like, well, I mean, if you insist, I guess so. But what I see is uh, truly a man that whose heart broke for his wife knowing that they wanted children, that she desperately wanted children. And in this moment, he really just wanted to make her feel better. And I think that's something really special to capture because we don't, in this time, let's take a moment to understand. In this time, Abraham does not have multiple wives. In this culture and time frame, it was really common to take on multiple wives. But he only has Sadae all the way up to her death. And it shows that he was truly committed and in love with this woman. He had no, there's no other moment for Abraham that we read about where it shows this desire to have any other woman. To have, it, it never shows a moment where he was with uh, prostitutes or uh, that he took on an, uh, another concubine or anything like that while he was with Sadi. But all these other men in, in, in Scripture, we read about how they did that. We read about their mistakes. We, we read just about Judah, who, who literally is the lineage of Jesus Christ. We read about how he went to a prostitute who happened ended up being his daughter-in-law. And so the Bible is not hiding anything about Abraham, but it's showing this transparent truth that Abraham was committed and faithful to his wife. This moment that he agrees, it is out of his character to just want to be with some other woman. It's what I see is truly a man that whose heart breaks for his wife, and he just he's willing to do anything to make her feel better. And as she's just pouring her heart out saying, well, maybe we should just try this. Maybe we should try this. He's just saying, okay, if you think that's what we should do, let's do it. And it's a moment where he feels just as desperate to make her feel better, just as she feels just as de uh, so desperate to have children. He knew that her greatest desire was to have a baby, to nurture, to love, to care for. And in this moment, he numbed his faith conscience because he simply cared and, and loved his wife. Now, I want us to keep in mind for a moment that for uh keep in mind that this was this is it says after 10 long years that they were living in the land God had told them to go they're in the promised land they're in the land of Canaan for 10 years and they had they had done what God had told them to do and now they've been just patiently waiting for this prayer to be answered to have a child 10 years is a long time to be waiting i mean me and Lauren, i feel like we've been married forever. I can't even remember what life was like before we got married. And just this August is going to be 10 years that we're married. And as they got, I just imagine that as they got older and older, they they would think of all of the greater fears that began to grow. I mean, don't you think that they also thought like, had thoughts like how we have thoughts? I mean, as they were getting older and older, they're not just thinking like, oh, you know, are we ever going to be able to have a children if we're this old? But they're also thinking like, how am I going to care for a baby when it's by the time they're 12, they're going to need to take care of me. I mean, they're getting that old. They're going to be, uh, don't you think that they had some thoughts like, I want to be able to play catch with my kid. I want to be able to climb trees with my kid. I don't want to be too old. How am I going to be able to, to do any of that if we wait any longer? Think about those kinds of fears that they were having. And so these fears, they were real. And those anxious thoughts grew into fear fantasies that pushed Sada'i into the seemingly logical situation that would bypass them having to wait in faith any longer. 
And when it comes to Abraham in this point, I, I really believe that as uh, in this moment, as hard as it was, it would have been better for Abraham to have made himself a rock of faith for his wife, to be strong when she was weak, rather than to to cater to the fears that she had. And and I, I want to be honest that that is a lot easier said than done. If you've ever had someone that you cared about going through such anxiety or depression or fears, it's really hard to be that kind of strong for them. It wouldn't have been easy in the slightest. And she could have even shifted all of the blame onto Abraham. She, she could have projected that it was all of his fault that they were childless because he didn't accept this offer. But in the end, it would have saved them a lot of heartache and confusion within their family dynamic later. It's in the moments like these, as hard as it is, that we as men are called to be men and to do the right thing even when it's extremely difficult or emotional. Now that leads me to our last point. In this last point, we're going to talk about how you are not your worst moment. You are not your worst moment. We're going to unpack how God can always turn an ugly situation into something beautiful. God can always turn an ugly situation into something beautiful. In Genesis 16, 7, uh, 7 through 16, we're going to pick up now. Remember, Hagar has run away. She, uh, her and Sadai were getting into uh, uh, some scuffles back and forth. And, uh, and now Sadai has uh, ran away. And we're going to pick up. It says, Now the angel of the Lord found her by spring of water in the wilderness. And by the spring on the way to Shur, he said, Hagar, Sarai's slave woman, from where have you come and where are you going? And she said, I'm fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. So the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her authority. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will greatly multiply your descendants so that they will be too many to count. The angel of the Lord said to her, further, behold, you are pregnant and you will give birth to a son and you shall call him, you shall name him Ishmael. Because the Lord has heard your affliction, but he will be like a wild donkey of a man. His, land, his hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand will be against him, and he will live in defiance of all his brothers. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are the God who sees me. For she said, Have I even, have I even seen him here uh, and lived after he saw me? Therefore the well was called Bir Lahi Roi. Behold, it is between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore a son to Abram, and Abram named his son, to whom Hagar gave birth, Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to him. So, picking up right here, I want us to really grasp how this is an incredibly complex situation that this is one of Abraham's most conflicting family moments in his entire life let's so let's kind of just analyze him for a moment in this moment as as Agar is away in the wilderness and he has his wife at home who is very emotional confused and upset over her years of longing for a child but not being able to conceive 
And now she, she has this jealousy of her handmaid who she willingly gave to her husband to have sex with. And, and that all alone, I mean, imagine if you've ever had a, a relationship where you got into a fight. <laughs> it, it is not a fun feeling to be in a normal fight, a simple argument. But to have all of this baggage within the woman that you've been married with more than half of your life. You've been married to this woman. And and now you have the, the person that you're closest to in your entire world. You're, you have all of this animosity, all of this conflict, all of this uh, complexity. And, and you don't know, imagine just not knowing what to do, not knowing how to make it better, not knowing how to fix it. And so that's just with his wife, right? Now, let's go to his pregnant side chick slash wife's closest employee. Okay, let's, I, I, even though it's re, she's, uh, the, she's her servant, let's understand that in this dynamic, this is similar to that of like a, a live-in nanny, like a live-in employee. And so this is uh, literally Sarai's closest employee, possibly her closest friend. And because as they, li they live together in this place, it's not like they would just go, uh, like, hey, let's go out tonight and into town and uh, see some of our old friends. No, this is possibly the closest female companion that Sarai has. And now uh, uh, Abram has got her pregnant, okay? <laughs> and uh, Hagar is feeling confused herself about her placement within the family and not knowing how to handle these relationships now as she is also feeling all of the all of the conflict all of the animosity and to top it off she is starting to feel all of the change in hormones from being pregnant now if you've ever been around a woman who is pregnant it can be incredibly dangerous it can be incredibly dangerous those hormones can be everywhere when we had our our foster kids with us and lauren was pregnant with i don't know which which one of our kids there's a point where i just i just like made it a rule within myself to survive i was like i'm gonna disagree with lauren no matter what <laughs> and it'd be legit times where the teenagers are like are you serious and they look at me like don't you see and i'm like hey man you just go listen to her okay <laughs> like i'm on her side i'm not gonna take the rap for you it like the the hormones during pregnancy is called pregnant rage okay it's a real thing and so hagar is feeling all of this new beginning hormones change within her body and and now abraham has his wife he has a uh, hagar now this is all this complex emotions imagine how crazy it was to live there if you've ever been in a family home where you're living with other family and it felt like everyone was fighting all the time all you want to do is leave all you want to do is move out that that living situation seems uninhabitable it is the worst moments of people's lives to live in that constant conflict at home and so abraham has this huge inner family conflict during a time keep in mind during this time that he is also wanting to be extremely excited about being a father for the very first time his dream is coming true even though it's done this 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 weird complex way that shouldn't have been done that way at the end of it all he's still going to be a father for the very first time don't you think that there's a part in him that was truly overwhelmingly excited as he has waited years and decades to be able to have a child and now it he actually is going to be a father and 
being up, being that excited, but feeling like you cannot be excited with your best friend, not being able to be excited with his wife, not being able to be excited with anybody else in the house. He has to have this, this happiness that he feels guilty about deep within inside of himself. And think about how isolating that would feel. He wants to be happy, but feels like he can't because of all of the drama in this, in the house. And all during this, during all of this, Hagar runs away with his long-awaited baby. So now think about the stress he's going through thinking if she's going to come back. That's his baby. At the end of the day, it's his kid. Think about how much he was he was scared, anxious, and wondering what's going to happen. Think of all of the fears in his mind at that moment as he's dealing with all the baby mama drama all of the all of the the fighting and the conflicts that he's having with his wife think about how he's trying to handle all of these emotions certainly think about think about how he and his wife were probably fighting so ugly through all of this time as they blamed each other back and forth on top of all of this hagar's in the wilderness and you think like oh man if she just comes home it'll get better right well, to get as she's in the wilderness, we get confirmation that the drama isn't going to stop here. God says that this new addition to the family is going to be a boy that is like a wild donkey who fights against everyone. So, talk about drama upon drama. Talk about adding fam, adding to the family drama. And so, in this moment of Abraham's life, he probably did not feel blessed. I want us to understand this moment. This is an ugly ugly moment in Abraham's life. He probably didn't feel like a spiritual man. He probably didn't feel like a spiritual man that walked in God's sovereignty and peace. He didn't feel blessed. He probably felt similar to any one of us on our worst day. But what makes Abraham who he is, is that he is not defined on his worst day. He's not defined in this moment that we read about in scripture. God doesn't hold these days to him as his greatest shortcoming. It's not recorded of him losing everything. We don't lose all of our hopes, all of our, uh, all of our respect for Abraham because of this single moment. We see it as a moment in his life as simple as that. And in the same way, you are not defined by your worst moment. While we can have hard seasons in life like this, they don't last forever and they don't have to break us. No matter what, you can move on and you can get up again. God's redemption is able to always turn an ugly situation like this that Abraham's going through into something beautiful. So don't give up. With that being said, I want us to take a moment to pray. And as we pray, if you're listening to this at any point and you feel like your relationship with God is just not there. And at some point in this talk, you feel like there's something within you calling you to a deep, uh, a meaningful relationship with Jesus Christ, uh, to be uh, really connected with God. <clears throat> if that is you, the Bible says in the book of Romans, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is who he says he is, surely you shall be saved. What it's saying is all you have to do is to have a simple, authentic conversation with Jesus yourself and acknowledge who he is, the Son of God that died on the cross for the world's sins and rose from the dead. Now when you do that and have that conversation, that that's all it takes to start 
that walk, that journey, that relationship with God your Father. And just like in Abraham in this moment, we know that God can turn any ugly situation into something meaningful and something beautiful, so He can and does in each of our lives. With that being said, let me pray. God, I thank you for these men. I pray that you move through each of their lives and that you help them to find a strong peace within you as you grow in each of our hearts and our relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen.